0: Senate Republicans rolled out their budget and road funding proposals. The federal health care law's future looks bleak. That, plus a cold beer sales controversy and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending March 31st, 2017.
1: Ice Miller is proud to support Indiana Week in Review. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com.
0: This week, the Indiana Senate GOP unveiled its proposed budget, which increases school spending while making voucher spending more transparent. The Senate budget raises overall K-12 spending by nearly $350 million, a 3.5% increase. That's compared to the House's budget, which included a $280 million K-12 increase. The Senate spending plan also reverses the House move to eliminate the teacher bonus program. The House put that funding into overall K-12 spending. The Senate's plan doles out the money to all schools based on enrollment, but dedicates it solely to teacher bonuses. The Senate budget also separates out school voucher dollars onto a separate line in what Senator Luke Kenley says is a nod to transparency. It's something Democrats in both chambers have called for for years. House Speaker Brian Bosman doesn't like it, saying it's the first step towards, in his words, putting the screws to voucher spending. What's behind the Senate's move on voucher spending in the budget? It's our first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel. Democrat Anne Delaney. Republican Jennifer Hollowell. John Schwannis, the host of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Katzenberger, president of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. I'm Indiana Public Broadcasting State House reporter Brandon Smith. And Delaney, what's Senator Luke Kenley doing here?
2: Maybe he thinks that voters deserve to know how their money's being spent. What, What a radical idea. I mean, this is supposed to be the Republicans' signature achievement. We're to lead the country in vouchers. Don't the voters have a right to know that 7% of the students are getting a much disproportionate amount of money, uh, and particularly of the new spending? You know, if they're so proud of this program, why wouldn't they want people to know it? That's my question.
0: What's Luke Kenley doing here?
3: Well I think that there were some people who were very surprised by this um as you mentioned, Democrats have been asking for this and and I think that the Senator gets uh points for mm-hmm. uh for doing that and and you know listening to some of the Democrat concerns. but I also think that we're going to see some questions about why are we pulling certain things out when a lot of other things aren't lying at So I don't know where this will end up at the end of session, but um we'll wait and see.
0: Uh, Brian Bosma said, and the reason he's opposed this—not just right now, but he's been opposing this for years—is, is he thinks the only reason you separate out voucher spending is so that folks can point to it and say, "No, no, no, this is too much. We've got to, we've got to cut vouchers." So and is is that, that? But well, is that is that what Luke Kenley's trying to do here?
1: I'm not sure what else uh, other conclusion you could draw other than he is trying to enhance. Uh, transparency as he suggested what a horrible uh, idea and i, I think you're right i mean your assessment thinking. of brian bosma's take on this is right and guess what people probably would point to it opponents that is of these kinds of programs school choice programs and point to it and say look you're seeing a greater percentage increase uh this biennium versus uh, the funding for instance for uh, traditional uh, public schools and it's easier to point that out so but as I, I don't know if the question is though should they or shouldn't they? But I mean Brian Bosma's right that would happen. But arguably, if you are in fact proud of the program and you want to hold it up as a, a marquee program that that should be a model in, of sorts for the rest of the country, well then I guess you want to stand behind it and and uh, and and brag about it. But. Maybe not. I don't know.
0: The voucher program has expanded dramatically since it first uh, started a few years ago, and those reports have generally come out not when they're writing the budget, but much later on. They come out from the Department of Education, which under Glenda Ritz, it was always seen as well. She's trying to make a partisan point. If it is a separate line line item in the budget, will that make it harder for Republicans
4: who like the voucher program to keep expanding it? Uh, It will make them make a different argument, and they will have to show in other ways uh, that it has uh, positive results for the system. Uh, because not only has the amount of money in the system gone up quite a bit, but the way the money, the money is distributed and the eligibility for people has expanded greatly. So instead of having had to go to a public school and then moving into a private school, you can go straight into a private school now with the, with the voucher system. So I think that uh, Senator Kenley is doing exactly what has been described. He's trying to bring some transparency to this, but he's working both sides of the street here, too. He also, uh, on the pre-kindergarten, reduced the amount of money available for that and made a fairly strong argument saying that there's already 37 percent of three and four year olds um, covered. Uh, mostly through federal dollars being spent into the system. So he was pulling back at that time while he was moving toward transparency on the vouchers. But,
2: you know, the other thing with that, too, is that with the, with the vouchers, not only is a disproportionate amount of the increase is going to 7% of the students, but it's, it's targeted in certain areas. There are no choices in a lot of the rural districts here. So re- districts represented by Republicans, public school is getting hurt by the fact that the, so much money is going into vouchers. And Brian Bosma apparently doesn't want his own no, representatives is, is to know that. It is
4: interesting to look at the situation. There are, are kindred spirits between a lot of the rural schools and, and the urban, urban schools. schools in That's terms right. of how the foundation grants and the formula itself affects them. They're really um, you know, arguing the same thing and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out over the rest of the session. I agree. I just going to go say I would caution not to draw any conclusions necessarily about
1: what Luke Kinley did here and suggest uh, or extrapolate uh, or infer that somehow there's a change of heart among a great number of Republicans or a softening a, of the caucus's position because the same time this all was happening this week, you had Senate committees that were advancing bills by overwhelming yeah. and Luke Kenley, uh, that would make it easier for uh, poorly performing voucher yep, schools, private right. schools to stay open and continue to recruit right. students. And Luke Kinley has
0: been... Concerned, if you will, about the growth of the voucher program for years. Quickly, a prediction, will this stay a separate line, I, line I, on I hope budget? it will,
2: because it's not only about the money. They can't demonstrate that performance is improved as a result of these vouchers. And some studies in other states indicate that not only is it not improved, in some cases it's gone down. And that was the entire justification for this in the first place.
0: Will it stay a separate line item?
3: I don't know whether it will. Fundamentally, though, this is still coming to the, to the fact that Republicans believe that parents and students should have choices and should be able to go to schools that they want to. And, it, of course, in urban areas there are more schools and more options, and we want to help folks, especially who may not be able to afford to go to a different school, to be able to do that. Uh, we're also uh, we're funding moving, religious moving, schools. moving on.
0: Senate Republicans also introduced their take this week on the session's comprehensive road funding bill. After amendments in a Senate committee, the road funding bill still increases the gas tax by 10 cents. Now that increase would happen over two years, 5 cents a year. The diesel fuel tax would only go up 6 cents instead of 10, also over two years. The new $15 annual fee for all vehicles is unchanged. The Senate added a $100 annual fee on all commercial vehicles and a $5 fee on all new tire purchases. And the Senate plan takes out the shift of sales tax on gasoline to pay for roads. With that shift removed, Senate Republicans were also able to eliminate the proposed cigarette tax hike from the budget. Jennifer Hollowell, without the sales tax on gas shift, which accounts for about $300 million a year, does the Senate GOP's plan simply fall short of the state's needs?
3: Well, I think that we all agree that we have serious needs for road funding. Um, NDOT needs $1.2 billion annually. Locals need $775 million for road funding. I think that It's important to recognize that locals spend a lot of money um, maintaining roads, and they have to pull that money from a variety of different revenue sources, and we want to try to fix that. So I think going forward, this is going to be a big negotiation. And, uh, you know, the governor said he falls somewhere in the middle, I think, on these, and hopefully we will get to something that does add more funding for roads.
0: Yeah, Governor Holcomb in a press conference this week said that uh, he neither he doesn't support the, the shift of the sales tax on gasoline. Um, this is something the House Republicans have been pushing for more than a year now. Is it important to do that so we can, to show we're serious about actually spending those dollars on roads. If we were
2: serious about actually spending what needs to be spent on roads, we would stop the rollback of the corporate tax, okay? Plain and simple. All of this is, you know, little shell games that they're playing, and they may wind up with this as a result of the Senate plan and not having enough money, putting tolls on roads we've already paid for. So, you know, the idea that they can cut and cut and cut on the well-to-do and also on corporations and not have a price to pay. I mean if they're serious about roads, stop the corporate rollback. It's the only way to do it.
0: Well, that seems unlikely.
2: Yeah. So without so the sales,
0: So without the sales tax on gas shift, is this really a a long-term
4: sustainable road funding plan? In its current form, and there are other ways to do it. Ann, I mean, if you added another dime on top of the dime they're talking about in the sales ga- tax or on the uh, gasoline tax, sure. that would provide more than enough money to fill the gaps. So there are other I ways to do it. Can we even do, do, do that? Um, well, no, we won't. But I think it's important to note that um, we have now the, the lines defined, and I think the lines are the House favors using the three hundred million dollars from the sales tax on gas. The Senate prefers, at least the Senate uh, budget writers prefer. Um, using tolling to make up that difference. It's important to remember that uh, Senator Kennedy was wearing a six-lanes button when he gave his briefing the other day, and that refers to tolling, and that means adding a lane um, to or adding lanes to uh, likely uh, other highways, and then tolling those highways and using the uh, revenue from that to sustain long-term road funding so we'll see what happens
0: on that uh governor holcomb again in that press conference this week says on tolling that it has to be part of the discussion but that discussion should take place seven years from now which, if I do the math correctly, would be nearing the end of his term if he gets reelected. So, brilliant, yes. brilliant strategy. So, is is I mean, but but does tolling have to be part of the conversation a lot sooner than that?
1: Well, it needs to be uh, a part of the discussion sooner than it would. The funds would be needed because there is that little necessity of going to the federal government and getting a waiver that would enable uh, the state to to assess these sorts of fees. So, you can't just snap your fingers, pass a bill. And if you're in desperate straits and say, OK, now we can do it. So there is some some discussion that would have to take place. I, I would just uh, point out it's interesting that, you know, the stated reason that, that Brian Bosman and other Republicans have given for wanting to change where the sales tax dollars right. are going is this notion of, well, transparency. We'll use that word again. We used it a few moments ago where <laughs> we're, we're, we're taxpayers, where taxpayers know precisely <laughs> whether where their money is going. Right. As when they, when co- they pay it, the as opposed every to co-mingling funds and it kind of gets
0: clouded. I guess that doesn't apply necessarily yeah, to the other consistency issues. So is consistency is sometimes a challenge. But. All right. A congressional effort to repeal and replace Obamacare is on life support after last week's failure to vote on a bill. Republican congressional leaders pulled the scheduled vote on the American Healthcare Act after it appeared the bill was headed for defeat. Speaker Paul Senator Ryan renewed hope uh, at revitalizing a- his party's effort at health care reform, around- but President Trump recently took to Twitter attacking the Freedom Caucus, a faction of the House GOP, a group whose participation will be vital to passing any health care bill. Indiana Congressman Luke Messer spoke on the House floor this week about the continued need for reform after last week's
4: failure. It's inside baseball, politics as usual. And it's not okay. It's not okay to the millions of families facing soaring premiums and worse health care under Obamacare. And it shouldn't be okay to any of us. We cannot walk away now without even a vote with so much at stake.
0: John Schwannis, will we see a federal health care reform bill become law this year? You know, it, it, this is a cop-out, but
1: it depends on what you mean by reform. Uh, no, listen, listen, <laughs> hey, hey, I mean, will will everything remain the same exactly as it is now? Probably not. And there seems to be a, a greater emphasis on, you know, maybe not replacing, but maybe tweaking, changing, revising in a way that, that people can Obama, uh, find accessible. However, for- ironically, probably the one bill that could actually get through uh, is one that would be a repeal without the replacement, because it's clearly the replacement where everybody on the Republican right. side is getting hung up. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's another effort to repeal with a, an, an effective date of fill in the blank, ni- 2019, 2020, yeah. whatever you want to make it, so the fight can be Seven years pushed down the road. Election. Now, will that have an immediate effect on funding? No. But I think As long as this administration is in place and as long as there are these majorities in in both chambers of Congress, the upshot of all of this will be, and I think this cuts to the heart of your question, will there be less Medicaid funding for states and less latitude that states have for Medicaid funding at times, arguably, when they need it more than ever? Yes, I think long-term there will be less money.
4: Federal health care reform bill passed this year. I think John's described it well, but I don't don't see it happening. Um, I, I think that... They could repeal and not replace, um, but I don't think you're going to see a reform. It's just going to take too much time. I mean, this failed so badly uh, this time around that in order to make something work, and remember, it took Obama um, more than a year to to get Obama, uh, the, the Affordable Care Act, through. So... I don't think you'll see a, a, a new bill that would uh, provide health care. You may see a repeal. And, again, even if there were I, a repeal, it wouldn't have any effective change because it's status quo for I, years. I think but.
2: they can't do it. It's, you know, all their Second Amendment emphasis is a the gang that can't shoot straight. They had seven years to come up with a plan. President Trump said he had a plan that was going to cover more people for less money with better benefits. They lied. Okay? They lied because what they proposed did not do that. And when you have Luke Messer going to the floor to speak in favor of repealing Obamacare, okay, at the same time, they're pulling the bill because they don't have the votes. And my health care coverage to everybody who's covered by Obamacare.
0: Can enough Republicans come together to do something in Congress this year?
2: I I believe so. I I
3: disagree. And by the way, President Obama told me that I could keep my plan and keep my doctor, and I lost my plan twice. But... Mm -hmm. um, I, think I hope you don't have a
2: pre-existing condition because Re- Re- you may not get coverage.
3: Republicans have talked about this for seven years. We've gone through three election cycles, and Americans and Hoosiers have voted for this. They want to see a change to Obamacare. and As, as others President have acknowledged, Obama asked it is, for. It, it is very problematic now. And, you know, the premiums have skyrocketed. And yeah. deductibles are the same or rising, and people can't afford that. So right. it will collapse. No, but it won't. Republicans, I believe Republicans have to come together. This was one attempt. I believe that we can make another attempt. And a better effort to push this forward. Republicans have to realize that this is what they have been voted in for. And so and I believe 17% uh, of the population
2: like their proposal. And President Obama asked for those changes numerous times and was rejected by the Republicans. So let's see if they come together.
0: Time now for viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question. Who's to blame for the House's failure to even vote on a federal health care reform bill? A, Speaker Paul Ryan, B, factions within the House GOP, C, President Donald Trump, or D, Democrats? Last week's question, should Senator Joe Donnelly vote for President Trump's Supreme Court nominee? 38% say yes, 62% say no. If you would like to take part in the poll, go to wfyi.org iwir and look for the poll. Controversy erupted at the State House this week, as only it can, over a convenience store's move to sell cold beer. Two Rickers convenience stores using a legal loophole recently secured the ability to sell cold beer. That was a right reserved solely for liquor stores and restaurants. But efforts in legislative committees to undo Ricker's move hit a snag when stakeholders pointed out that the proposed language could affect movie theaters, golf courses, bowling alleys, and specialty food stores. Senate President Pro Tem David uh, Long says the issue has become much more complicated and the legislature needs to redefine what counts as a restaurant. House Speaker Brian Bosma admits finding that redefinition in the remaining few weeks of session is difficult. He says the solution might be a moratorium on all new permits and a study committee on the issue later this year. John Katzenberger, is this a lot of misguided legislative energy,
4: or should lawmakers put a stop to Ricker's sort of end around? You know, it's funny how alcohol bills make everybody a little tipsy in the state statehouse. <laughs> um, first of all, you have to give Ricker's credit, um, and this is part of the problem with the law, is that they found a loophole... And, you know, use that loophole to get this uh, permission to sell cold beer in their convenience stores in the gas stations. Uh, The response from leadership was surprising, actually. I I thought they brought, uh, you know, a a shotgun to a, you know, whatever, a knife fighter, whatever. Um, They they really are coming hard on this. And I think what it shows is that um, it's been, what, the 1930s when we enacted our um, three-tier system. Um, There are a number of arguments being held around that system and have been for decades. Um, I think it's Probably a good time to say, hey, maybe we ought to look at the way we regulate alcohol in Indiana and take a comprehensive look at this and maybe uh, reform the system. It's difficult because of all of the vested interests. I mean, you have yeah. liquor stores that have spent, you know, lots of money to have their piece of the business and the convenience stores and everyone Brothers else. And stores right. So else. It's, it's a very difficult su- uh, subject. Uh, but I think all of the controversy we've seen around this really begs for a comprehensive look.
0: Those legislative leaders really did kind of go hard, not after Rickers. They said, well, Rickers was, was you know, they they all credit to them. Work. They did what they're supposed to do. They went hard after the ATC, but then even a week later, it's, I think it dawned on them how complicated this is. Do you think they can come to a resolution in just three short weeks? It's going to be tough because this, just as there were unintended
1: consequences with the initial legislation, that's, you know, it took what? Decades for somebody to figure out how to, to find the loophole. Okay. And every, no matter how you try to plug it, you know, invariably that balloon will pop out somewhere else and somebody else is affected and somebody else then is going to feel his or her rights trampled. It's a tough issue. I mean, it probably will be studied again. How many times has it been studied uh, in the summer? Uh, Again and again and again. Something's got to give eventually because we are a bit of an outlier in terms of how we regulate alcohol in this state. Not just temperature at which it's sold, where it's sold, but days it's sold, time
0: it's sold, and how high partitions have to be between. I mean, it's, it's, it's a... It's confusing. John is right. It's been studied and studied and studied, including last summer, by the way. They took a comprehensive look at 7.1, which is the code for uh, the alcohol laws. Is this finally the tipping point that gets to real reform?
3: I think it is, and I mean, I think that will have to happen in the next session. And it has been studied, but we haven't acted in part because of all the competing interests that John mentioned. But um, I think that this is going to force open a lot of other Questions that have been bubbling for years in terms of what Hoosiers want. And at some point, we have to revise our law to meet today's demand and, and make sure, obviously, that we do that carefully. But I do think that we will see probably a temporary solution now and a much bigger discussion next year.
0: Speaker Bosman talked about throwing all of the vested interests out of the room. So they can huddle <laughs> together. Well, to, to, to be able to huddle together well, and actually rewrite all. yeah, <laughs> re- rewrite the law. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing from your laughter, you don't think that's really possible. It would be possible. nice to
2: think that the comprehensive study would result in what citizens of Indiana want, as opposed to what the vested interests want. I don't have any faith in that at all. And frankly, the only good news from this is we ought to raise a glass and toast whatever lawyers Rickers had to interpret that loophole because it was really very creative.
1: At, at the risk of sounding like the inconsistency police, I've already you know, stopped and incited a few questions ago. This is another one where you have lawmakers who say the market should rule. There shouldn't be government except, picking winners except, and losers, except, except with Tesla Motors, except with Airbnb, except with this. So yeah, clearly, yeah. Let, we should do away with the ruse that market forces dominate. I've urged the
2: abo- abolition of the Alcoholic Beverage Commission for 30 years. I've not gotten anywhere. <laughs> a,
0: house a House panel changed a bill this week that deals with parental notification of abortion, aiming to alleviate the biggest concerns surrounding the measure. Under current law, a girl under 18 can go to court to get consent for an abortion if her parents won't grant it. Proposed legislation would have required at least one parent be notified of that hearing, raising concerns about its confidentiality. Under an amendment adopted in committee, a parent would no longer be notified before the hearing. Instead, a judge would determine whether a parent is notified at all and only after the court grants consent. Meanwhile, a different abortion bill, one that would have required doctors to tell women their medication-induced abortions could be reversed, won't advance at all. Legislative leaders say doubts about the scientific proof for that claim sidelined the bill and Delaney, are you surprised at the direction the abortion debate has taken at the state house
2: i summer? actually think that's a positive positive development because uh, you know having done this having been involved in the kind of sexual assault questions for years you, you know a lot of the time it is the parent or step parent of the child who is involved in the actual assault on the child so you have to have a judicial bypass of that and we argued that for years so that's a positive development and when there's no scientific support for the other bill it's good that it's not going anywhere but, you know, frankly, if the legislature would stop talking about abortion, guns, and alcohol, they could probably cut their session in half. Yes, but and we have wouldn't have anything
0: to talk about on this <laughs> show. So, Jen, is, it, is, well, is, that. Is, this, is this a good direction that Hoosiers uh, want for the abortion debate?
3: I think so. And we talked about both of those bills a few weeks ago on the show, and we'll see what happens. And now I think we've gotten to a place, and there was a lot of compromise and agreement um, for the reason that a lot of uh, females face issues that come from the family and they need to have the option to be able to speak to a judge about that. So I think it's, right. the process worked.
0: All right. Finally, I want to talk a little bit about this. So young lawmakers announced the creation this week of the bipartisan Indiana State Future Caucus, comprised of legislators under the age of 40. The group aims to focus on issues affecting young people, helping educate their older colleagues on those subjects. The caucus's formation is organized in part by the Millennial Action Project. Now, I know that when you use that word, Jennifer Hollowell, it might be easy to make jokes, but can this group actually be effective?
3: I think it can be effective, and I have a lot of respect for the folks who are part of this. I do have to say that I was disappointed to see that there are no women as a part of this. And it's because there are no female legislators, I guess, under the age of 40, which... For our future, I sure hope that we can get more women to run for office and get elected at all levels. I agree
2: I agree with that. But part of the problem with this is, is the part-time legislature. Everybody talks about how terrific it is, but you can't live on the salary that legislators make, and you can't have a job uh, except in certain limited circumstances. So it, it goes towards people of retirement age, because women in childbearing age with jobs are not going to seek an office that takes them away from home as long Very as this The cure
1: here is, to, I think, to take a long-term Strategy, If they can be patient and, and which General Assembly members can't often can't do both in 20, 30, 40 years, they'll get their way. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's an it's an it's an iron when class. No strategy. longer. Wait, when they they class
2: anymore, yeah. I thought you way. were talking right. Jennifer point about women. That's
0: Indiana. We can review for this week. Our panel is Democrat and Delaney Republican Jennifer Hollowell. John Schwannis of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at WFYI.org IWIR, or starting Monday, you can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity. I'm Brandon Smith of Indiana Public Broadcasting. Join us next time, because a lot can happen in an Indiana week.
1: Ice Miller is proud to support Indiana Week in Review. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com.